This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. And we are days away from the trade deadline. We had a trade today. Nathan Navaldi goes from Tampa Bay to Boston. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about one of the biggest trades that's happened so far, Zach Britton to the Yankees, and what that does to a Yankee bullpen that was already phenomenal. We're going to talk about two spots that I'm going to say do not need a trade because I think some of these guys are better than people might think. We have to talk about what in the world is going on with the Oakland Athletics. Sorry, Seattle Mariners fans. Uh, and then we're going to get to a couple of trade predictions. Obviously, this is going to be a trade deadline heavy feet, uh, version of the show. And then uh, next week, we'll see what happened and see what we're going to do the rest of the season. Matt, do the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball? And will the Yankees have the best bullpen over the last X number of years now that they have Zach Britton? Um on paper, they certainly have the uh, the best moment in baseball, and I'm not sure it's all that close, particularly when you factor in that uh, they've got Tommy Canley in the minors just sitting there kind of rehabbing. So uh, it's uh, it, it's pretty, pretty good. It's really good, but I do think it is closer than people think. All right, here's some numbers, okay? The Yankees' bullpen, this is entirely before Zach Britton because he's not pitched for them as of yet. They are first in weighted on base. They are first in batting average against. They are first in slugging percentage against. First in strikeout percentage, first in ERA, second in expected weighted on base to Houston. And I do think there's something to be said for the Astros bullpen. I know people think that they have a big problem there because Ken Giles is in the minor leagues and they probably could use somebody there. But I think the Astros bullpen is really, really good. I know that's not exactly our topic right now, but I just wanted to say that I think people focus on that because Giles has been bad and because that team has been so good that that's the only place for them to improve. I do think the Yankees bullpen... We expected them to be the best in baseball, and they are the best in baseball. And now they have Zach Britton. Yeah, well, I mean, one point on the Astros before we get back before we go on to the Yankees is part of the reason people are also saying that is because they were heavily in on Britton. So there was a belief. Yes, Giles has been bad, but a bunch of other guys have obviously been very good. But they're you know the idea they were in on Britton, they clearly were trying to make this kind of move too. So it's not it's not just us, our perception. It's, you know, the Astros are trying to get this guy as well, and we'll still probably acquire another reliever. One of the most unexpected reactions I've seen to this trade, uh, based on Twitter, which is really a terrible place to judge anybody's reactions, is that Zach Britton might not actually be good anymore, which I find kind of shocking. I would admit that he is not the elite top two reliever he was in his glory days, right? But I think what's happening is that people are looking at his 2018 stats, uh, which, you know, they're not great. His velocity is down. He's at 94 miles an hour. Uh, he was like 97 at his peak. Uh, his ERA is 345. That's not great. Strikeout rate is lower than it was. Walk rate is up. I admit all those things are true. But if you look at what's happened uh, through the season, you can see changes happening, you know, month by month. So he didn't really uh, pitch for the first two months of the season because he tore his Achilles over the winter. And if you look at his velocity, uh, it's gone up markedly. In July, and if you look at the production, you know in June, and we're not talking about huge amounts of playing time here, but in June he gave up six runs in eight innings. July, no runs in seven innings. June, eighteen percent strikeout. July, twenty-five percent strikeout, and most importantly, June, fifty-four percent ground ball. 
July 80% ground ball. That's the Zach Britton I remember. Even if he's not, you know, a top five reliever, he's a very good reliever who somehow might simultaneously only be the fifth best reliever in the Yankee bullpen, uh, which I guess gets back to the story of depth. This is a insanely deep bullpen. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the interesting thing will be how do they utilize all these guys? Um, you know, it's still you still kind of assume that when healthy, Chapman is going to roll. Chapman is still going to be kind of like the one inning closer guy. Uh, so then it's a matter of just how you mix and match uh, around around him. Yeah, let me uh, just kind of read off the names in this bullpen and understanding. I'm about to say one name too many. Someone's going to have to go to make room for Britain. My guess is that you know maybe they'll option Jonathan Holder, but I think maybe Roldis Chapman uh, will have a short knee related disabled list visit. Right. So right now, Britain. Chapman and Shreve from the left side, Batances, Robertson, Green, Holder, Warren, and AJ Cole from the right side. That is insane depth. And I think a lot of those names people know a lot about, right? Robertson, obviously, Chapman, obviously, Batances has had a nice comeback. The one name I do want to point out here is AJ Cole. Now, if you are a prospect follower, AJ Cole was a reasonably well-regarded prospect. He was right? like a prospect. For, like he appeared on prospect lists for like seven years. If, I'm trying to remember correctly. Was it what was with the Nationals and was traded to Oakland and then back, like in the Gio Gonzalez trade, yeah, he, and then uh, Derek he, Norris. He, all, trade or and he just like never got that much service time. So he ended up like because the prospect lists are based on rookie eligibility. So he was like literally on prospect list for as long as I can remember any any player ever being on prospect lists. <laughs> anyway, AJ Cole. Uh, you know, never really panned out with the Nationals. Uh, he actually won the fifth starter spot for Washington this year and did not do well. After two starts, they DFA'd him. So four years in Washington, 532 ERA in 26 games. Two starts this year with Washington, not so good. He was DFA'd on April 20th so that they could add the immortal Carlos Torres. Carlos Torres got into 10 games for Washington, 652 ERA, DFA'd himself on May 23rd. Anyway, the Yankees trade for A.J. Cole for cash considerations, which is Another way of saying they got him for absolutely nothing. With the Yankees, he's gotten a 12 games, 20 and two-thirds innings, 0.87 ERA, 26 strikeouts, six walks, and he's doing it in just the most Yankee way possible. He used to be a, you know, work off your fastball, establish your fastball type. With the Nationals over the last four years, 55% fastballs, 23% sliders. With the Yankees so far, 34% fastballs, 48% sliders. He's been really, really good, and he's, I don't know, the eighth best reliever they have, if even, which is insane. And then you, you had mentioned Tommy Canley. I think people forget how good Tommy Canley was last year. Uh, I think we had a lot of fun making the joke that it wasn't the Todd Frazier trade, which is what people called it. It was actually the David Robertson and Tommy Canley trade because Canley was so good last year. And he was bad this year to start, went on the got, DL, got, hurt, yeah. got hurt. He was bad, and then his velocity was down. I was like, well, maybe he's hurt. Oh, turns out he's hurt, goes in the DL. In AAA, and what's I mean, what, what do we have for his line right now? He's uh, 17 games at AAA since June 1. Batters are hitting 150, 250, 233 against him with a 27 to 8 strikeout walk ratio uh, and a 212 ERA. I'm, I'm remembering now in April, I think we looked at uh, biggest velocity gainers and losers, and Canley was like number two on our list. And then, yeah, the next day, you're like, oh, his shoulders hurt. I mean, the one interesting thing about the makeup of this bullpen to me is that they, they with Britain, they now have three lefties. Um, Britain, Chasen, Chasen Shreve, and Aroldis Chapman. If Shreve survives this, which yeah. a lot of people think he might not. Well, the reason why he might not is because they don't really they, they don't have a loogie. They don't have a lefty one out guy. Shreve for his career has a higher weight on lefties have a higher weight on base against him than righties do. Britain is basically even for his career, 
and Chapman isn't going to be used situationally. So it's kind of odd for as good as this bullpen is and as deep as it is, they don't have a guy who's just like lights out against lefties. Yeah, I think people want Shreve to be DFA'd and, you know, he hasn't had a great year, although he's been very good lately. I think what they're going to try to do is, uh, you know, string this along until September 1st. A DL stint here, an option there, because Shreve has been, you know, better than I think people give him credit for. And then in addition, in the minor leagues, they have Giovanni Gallegos, who led all of AAA with a 41% strikeout rate last year, still has a 35% this year, has gotten 10 major league innings. They have JP Fireisen. That's not a name I think a lot of people know, but he was part of the Andrew Miller trade in 2016. 193 ERA, 44 strikeouts and 46 innings. He is a driveline guy. So he's been using the weighted baseball as he's upped his velocity. The point is that you have guys like Tommy Canley, who was really good last year, has been really good in the minors, and he can't find a spot. It is unbelievable how deep this is, and that there is, I guess that's the point, right? There is not a bad pitcher they can put out there. So let me put this question to you. How would you define the best bullpen? What number do you look at? And I'm going to say historically, because I'm not just talking about stack as numbers. Um, I mean, ERA obviously is not the best way to look at it because you have to deal with inherited runners. Um, I don't know. You tell me, Mike. Well, there is no right answer, and that's why I pose that question. But if you want to try to look at this historically, um, I think you kind of look at ERA just because individually it's kind of lame for relievers. I agree. Um, but on a larger scale across the entire team, it's a little bit better. And it's if you're trying just to get to did you prevent runs, it's a half-decent way to do it. So Fine, fine. You've convinced no, me. No, I mean, I haven't convinced myself. There's just not a better answer. You know, you could look at FIP. You could look at WAR, whatever. Anyway, uh, and then you need to scale it to the average for that year because obviously – you know, the ERA in 2000 is very different than it was in 1968, right? So uh, one way I like to do that is by looking at a stack called ERA minus, which is very simply how much better or worse was a team than the league average for that year. So for example, if you look at the best relief groups in terms of ERA above average for that year, you have the 2003 Dodgers of Eric Gagne, uh, who had an ERA minus of 61. And that's best all time. As best all time. League average is always going to be 100. So if we're saying 61, that just is another way of saying they're 39 percentage points better than average for that year. A couple of teams were tied uh, at 63 or 37 uh, points better than average, including the 2013 Royals. And obviously we know a lot about those teams. And uh, the 1998s of Dennis Ek- peak Dennis Eckersley. Okay, there you go. The 81 Yankees who may have had Goose Gossage. Strike year, though, too. So we Yeah, have okay, strike year. And then a couple of teams are tied uh, after that, including the 2017 Indians, which that makes a whole lot of sense. We saw Andrew Miller and Cody Allen and friends. And then after that, the Yankees are tied. The current Yankees. The current Yankees are tied. The current Yankees who have not yet had the benefit of Zach Britton are tied uh, at a 65 ERA minus. That means they are 35 percentage points better than the league average. So... The point is they don't need to do a lot better than they've been to bump themselves a little bit higher on this list. I don't know that this is a perfect way to say, you know, the best bullpen or not, but it's the best way we have right now. And to even be having this conversation, I think, tells you a lot about how good this team is. Yeah, point is Yankees bullpen is amazing. However, they just lost again and are now five in an afternoon game to the Rays. They're now five and a half games behind – the Red Sox, though, mind you, uh, only three in the loss column, which is important. I was raised to only look at the loss column. That's how, that's what my father taught me. Can we, can we talk about that game for just one second? Yes, we should. This is the uh, we just watched this like two minutes before we walked over to the studio, where Sergio Romo ended up playing third base 
uh, which actually made a lot of sense because Greg Bird was up and Greg Bird is going to pull everything. And he did. He pulled it to the right side. And well, then he, he, I know there's a little more to it than that, but yeah, the reason that's he the headline is that yeah. he was playing third. Romo had p- finished off the eighth inning and then Bird was leading off followed by a bunch of righties. So the idea was, well, we know Bird's not going to hit third base. If anything, he's going to bunt it because Greg Bird had actually bunted for a hit against the shift earlier in the game. So basically they put Romo at third in a position where to discourage the bunt. So, yeah. so Bird was not going to bunt. So basically meant that there was no way Bird was going to hit the ball to him. But, it's actually kind of brilliant. But bunting doesn't do that. I know I, people want to think, okay, great, he bunted to the left side. That means he's not going to get shifted again. I don't know how many times in a row you need to do that to make that happen, but, but it's not once. But my point is simply that simply by putting Romo at third, playing in to protect the bunt, it guaranteed the ball was not going to get hit to him. Right. Because right. it's like he's not going to bunt, so therefore he's going to either pull a ground ball or hurt a fly ball. And, of course, Bird grounded out. Romo came back in, replacing my boy Johnny Venters. Yep. Got a grounder, even though I think Matt Duffy made an error on it. And then uh, closed out the game, and the Rays won. I don't know if the uh, Yankees are going to get a starting pitcher now, right? They may not. There's really no good starting pitchers out there. Eovaldi is off the market now. Cole Hamels has been terrible. I don't think he's going to get traded. Tyson Ross, Jay Happ. The point is... There's not an upgrade out there. I don't, you know, DeGrom's not going to get traded. I don't think Archer's going to get traded. So now you're the Yankees, and Severino is phenomenal, right? Tanaka has been a little inconsistent, but he was very good the other night. If you go into a one-game playoff, you could basically have these guys pitching four batters apiece, and it would be unbelievable, right? Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's what will be fascinating if the Yankees, and then basically that's how the Yankees won their wild game last year, if you yeah. remember, like, uh, Severino got rocked by the Twins. Yes, he did. And Chad Green came in the first inning, and he pitched like three innings, and then they chipped away at I forget whoever was pitching for the Twins. It was uh, uh, Santana, I think. I think it was Santana. And they ended up, you know, they ended up winning, winning pretty big. And so, th- I mean, I imagine if the Yankees end up in the wild card game again, which right now looks like the most like the most likely scenario looks like the Yankees hosting the okay. Mariners okay. or A's. <laughs> more on that in a minute in the wild card game, and that's almost a certainly. The way it's going to uh, to play out again. Yeah, this this joke is a little less impactful now that the Yankees are so far behind the Red Sox. But I was really looking forward to the first team to go all the way to the World Series without a starting pitcher getting a win, because <laughs> that would be that would be hilarious to me and it, nobody else. I mean, the, what enough people aren't talking about, and I will talk about it more. I think baseball will start taking notice more after the trade deadline when people are start focusing on the races again. Is that the Red Sox are on an unreal pace. They're, yes. they're, on, they're on like a 110 win pace after blowing a game last night against the Orioles, the game they should have, they were winning most of it. So um, the Yankees have got a, a tough mountain to climb. Granted, they've got a lot of games left against the Red Sox. It's only three in the loss column, um, which is what really matters because you can't make up losses. So it's a little closer than I think the five and a half games suggests, but um, you know, obviously the Red Sox have the edge. Speaking of the Red Sox and Yankees, let's have some takes on some hitters here. And I promise this is not just going to be a Red Sox and Yankees podcast. We're not even going to get into Gary Sanchez gate because it'll just make my head want to explode. Uh, they still have a week before they need to you know, finish off what they're going to do for the trade deadline. And I would like to make the argument that they should not replace two of their uh, struggling young hitters, right? Because I think if you look at the surface stats, they tell a very different story than the stack metrics. metric. So for the Yankees, let's look at Greg Bird. Greg Bird last year hit a buck 90, 288, 422. So far this year, he's hitting 231. 326 on base, 462, multiple ankle issues, obviously at surgery, didn't make his debut until May 26th, and his first month, he was pretty terrible. Uh, through May, uh, through June 24th, he played 25 games, hit a buck 90, 292 on base, 
393 slugging and you know you could start to hear the fans start to have the drumbeat of we've had enough of this guy there was a rumor maybe that they'd get mike moustakas to come play first base which makes no sense because moustakas isn't actually all that good greg bird no, i mean not just all things equal like I just think Bird's a better player. I'd rather oh, have Greg, I'd rather have Greg Bird on my team than Mike Moustakis. Eleven times, especially to play first base. If it's to play third base, yes, I'd rather have Mike Moustakis. And even then, I'm not 100 percent sure. But anyway, Greg Bird has been destroying the ball for the last month. He's uh, gotten into 21 games, not including today's in Tampa. Uh, he's hit 278, 365, 542 slugging. Those are massive numbers. And I'll give you one guess as to how he's doing that. He is not hitting the ball on the ground anymore. His first month, he had a 44 percent ground ball rate. His second month, he's had a 25% ground ball rate. Strikeout rate stayed the same. Hard hit rate is above average. You know, we saw this, I think, last year. He struggled really badly when he first came off the DL and then destroyed the ball in September. You know, so we know he's had the talent. He hasn't always had the uh, health history. But I don't really know that there is another first baseman out there that I would prefer to, you know, give the next two months of playing time to. If you want to get, like, a backup, that's fine. But I, I, I trust... Greg Bird. I believe in Greg. And also, I mean, the, the raw numbers are already starting to bear it out. It's, you know, the last 21 games, as you said, 278, 365, 542. So it's well, not even just like, this, this is even just speculation at this point. He's well, actually producing. It is. But, uh, and the same thing with the next guy we'll talk about. When you go look at the scoreboard or in the box score, his season numbers are still true. The season numbers are still terrible. Speaking of which, Jackie Bradley Jr., he's hitting 210, 298, 349. That is. Even with his recent hot streak, that's still where he's up to. Uh, 222 hitters have had 250 plate appearances. His weighted on base is 201st. That is about where D. Gordon is and Wilmer Defoe is. Uh, I, I think Red Sox fans might want to see Mookie Betts in center and J.D. Martinez in right and Jackie Bradley in, I don't know, Pawtucket or Kansas City or somewhere. I say no. I say believe in Jackie Bradley. Um, yeah, and I mean, at least also he's got the the, the stellar defense to kind of yes. carry him. So with obviously the, the Red Sox are winning and scoring runs, so it's kind of less, even like by the standard of like outraged fans, at least there was some like, well, you know, he does help the team in other ways. Yeah, I was uh, I was on uh, St. Louis radio today and they were kind of asking about, you know, like ex-Woba and Woba. And we said for Matt Carpenter, you know, uh, his ex-Woba was great. We kind of had confidence it would, it would do a little better. Uh, Dexter Fowler, not so much. There wasn't much to see there. For Jackie Bradley, he has one of the largest gaps between expected weighted on base and actual weighted on base. His expected is 355. His actual is 285. Uh, that is a 70-point difference. There's only two guys who have a bigger gap than that. But what's interesting is everybody on the top of this list outside of Jackie Bradley is your stereotypical slow-footed, shifted lefty slugger. Kendris Morales and Victor Martinez and Logan Morrison, but not Jackie Bradley. And when I looked at this, I was absolutely stunned to see this. We have 242 guys who've put 150 balls in play. He is 12th in hard hit rate. Isn't that it's unbelievable to me? I did, not, I did not know that. It hit the ball that hard. He has a 49% strike uh, hard hit rate, and that is a big jump for him. If you look at the first three years of Stackhouse, his hard hit rate was 39%, then 40%, then 40%, and now it's 49%. So he's crushing the ball. Why hasn't the production been there? Well, it has been recently over the last month, 303, 365, 526. But I think it's also just about making contact. Obviously, hard hit rate does not account for contact. 36% strikeout rate in May, 23% in June, 20% in July. And I found this really interesting. And I, I wish I had more detail than we got from this story. Uh, both the Boston Herald and Nesson had similar stories about a week ago saying that Janie Martinez approached Jackie Bradley Jr. and noticed something about his swing and tapped him on his shoulder and said, hey, this is what I see. I want to show you what to do. Uh, and Bradley did that. And it's changed. I don't know what. I need to find out what. 
but the fact that JD Martinez, in addition to crushing baseballs, could also have this kind of impact is is unbelievable. Yeah, no, there, I've, I've been uh, I've been I've read some recent quotes from his teammates who are basically like, "This guy is just a hitting hitting savant," which I guess is not surprising. He basically remade himself, so it's not that surprising to think that like in the process of doing that and having success, sort of like you know, having a better understanding of what it takes to be a successful hitter. Yeah. So um, I say buy into Jackie Bradley. I say buy into Greg Bird. And are you buying into the Oakland Athletics? Uh, of course. I mean, we talked about the A's I know. I, a lot I, on this why show. Why do you think I keep bringing it up? And it's, it's I mean, they're, they're the, the, the most fun story in baseball right now. Um, because they sorry pirates <laughs> i mean they're they're one and a half games behind they are 59 and 43 they're uh one and a half games out of the second wild card behind seattle last night they were down 10-2 to texas in the seventh inning they came back to win 13 10 uh this is an amazing stat i got i think from espn teams had won 761 consecutive games when leading by eight runs entering the seventh inning and it hadn't happened since april of 2012 and they came back and they are red hot. In the last two months, since May 25th, they have a 647 winning percentage. It's tied with the Dodgers and Houston behind the Red Sox. Over the last one month, since June 25th, they're 18 and 5, 783 winning percentage behind only Boston. That's not a hot streak. That is the sign of a good team. And, you know, I know I said over the winter that they were going to be interesting and uh, kind of fun and better than people thought. I don't think I thought they would do this. And now it's. Listen, we all knew the Mariners were not going to keep up that that one-run magic, right? But I didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. I didn't think they might blow it before the end of July. And also the other thing is like the arc of the season. If you you know, I think probably you know, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you had AJ Puck as your rookie of the year. I did, and then he blew out his elbow like two minutes later. But my point is simply that like when you envision the arc of the A season, it involved guys like Puck and Jarrell Cotton yeah, being right, good, right? Right. So they've done this just by getting nothing from those Kendall guys. Kendall Graveman as well, who just, yeah. it was bad, and then he got hurt. Yeah, so it's like that's the fact that they're doing it despite the fact they're starting pitching is just like a bunch of a bunch of guys. I, I was going to say, three-fifths of their – look at their rotation right now. Okay, Chum and I has had a really nice season. Um, Frankie Montas has been pretty okay. Brett Anderson, Trevor Cahill, and literally Edwin Jackson <laughs> are in their rotation right now. And I don't know, it's kind of amazing. Obviously, this is – the most 2018 story, right? This team crushes homers. They have a weak rotation and they've got a phenomenal bullpen and both in ways predicted and not. Cause I remember over the off season, I said, well, I really, one of my favorite under the radar deals was uh, Emilio Pagan for Ryan Healy. I thought that was a great deal for Oakland and Pagan got off to a lousy start, but he's back. He's pitched pretty well. And Healy has been terrible for Seattle. So that's worked out really well. I loved the Ryan Bookter trade Ryan Bookter, uh, was one of these guys who gets just a ton of pop-ups. We we always liked him because his expected weighted on base was phenomenal. He's pitched really well. Blake Trinan uh, has finally delivered on the promise. I think if you you look back to that Sean Doolittle trade, they got Blake Trinan, they got Jesus Lazardo, and they right is that in this right deal? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking like it up right 90% now. Ninety percent sure that's true, and they got somebody else too. Uh, whose name I can't remember. And of course... Well, it wasn't, wasn't Ryan Matson also in the deal? Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, it sounds right. I think, yes, Ryan Matson also went to Washington. And, and uh, Oakland got trying in... Luzardo. It was Doolittle Matson for Luzardo, who is now their number one prospect. Yeah. Sheldon Sheldon New Noise uh, Noisy yeah. Noisy and Blake Trinan. Right, um, and then you know obviously they just traded for Hurry's uh, Familia from the Mets and Lou Trevino, who I will admit I had never heard of like six weeks ago. Lou Trevino uh, is. They're in 46 in the third inning is 136 ERA, 54 strikeouts. They're really doing this kind of from the back end forward, right? They are first. Their relievers are in win probability added. They are first in clutch. Now, 
it's kind of the same story as the Mariners just like two months later, you know, and I don't think that they're necessarily all that different, but they're definitely better positioned, uh, I would say. And then kind of a uh, under the radar story here, much improved defense. Two years ago, this was the worst defense in baseball. Last year, this was the 27th worst, uh, defense in baseball. Just looking at, at DRS here. This year, they're scratch. They're 18th. They're middle of the pack. That's that's improvement. It's not a strength, but it's not a weakness. Uh, well, we, I mean, Matt Chapman is ridiculous at third. They've got Chris Davis. They're no longer Chris Davis playing the outfield. So just like you know, a couple of just like I think Marcus Semien's gotten better. Too. Yeah, but so, so there's a few places you can see an obvious obvious upgrade. You are you're 100 percent right about Matt Chapman. I think. Uh, since he's still a little bit under the radar, a lot of people kind of freak out when you say he's as good of a defender as Nolan Arenado, but I actually believe that to be true, if not even a little bit better. Uh, and then obviously, you know, he can hit. Matt Olson is crushing. If you look at the A's since June 1st, they have the fifth best weighted on base. They've got the third most home runs. They have the fourth highest hard hit rate. And then my favorite part, they have the lowest ground ball rate. And over the, uh, I mean, that's a pretty nice combination to have. Uh, and then over the last 30 days, pretty much everyone's been hitting. Jed Larry uh, is slugging 573. Piscotti's been crushing the ball, 643 slugging. Really, everyone outside of Lucroy, who's not really been that great, and Dustin Fowler, who's been slumping, has been an above average bat. And I remember like a month ago, we thought, oh, yeah, they'll trade Jed Lowry. And now it's like, no, they won't. They're going to. They're going to add. They're going to probably get another reliever. Or, you know, this might be a rotation where even an unimpressive starter like a Jay Happ or Tyson Ross. Uh, would actually make sense. Or, as someone very impressive that I know tweeted out this morning, Bryce Harper to Oakland. This is your idea. I want to give you full credit for this. I love everything about this. This is the most popular tweet I've ever had. I've been getting getting likes and retweets all day on this. I said the one trade that needs to happen is Bryce Harper to the A's because the Nats right now are seven games out in the East with a team between them. So they're seven games behind the Phillies with the Braves between them. They are six games out in the wild card with like five teams between them and the second spot. Um... Since the second wild card was introduced in 2012, no team has been six or more games out on August 1st and made the playoffs. They are. So you remember they had that uh, the big team meeting, right? And then they they got they were getting blown out by Miami, and they had the unbelievable comeback. Yes. It's like, this is it. This is it. They turned it around. They are 5-8 and eight since then. They have won, I believe, 12 of their last 37. And, you know, I don't know this offhand, but I would be— I would be surprised if uh, of those 12 wins, Max Scherzer had not started the majority of those. And I mean, I don't expect it to happen. That's it. If the, if the Nats have not made up ground by Tuesday, at Tuesday the 31st at 4 p.m., the trade deadline, they have to seriously consider They'll trading. They'll never do it. Tra- but trading I by. agree with you completely. They, they, should. Ha- they should seriously consider it. The A's are the perfect team for it. Their left field situation right now has mostly been Chad Pinder and Nick Martini. Okay. Whatever you think of Bryce Harper, he's a big upgrade there. The A's have a tradition of actually kind of going all in whenever they have a chance to. I mean, they went in for John Lester for a half-season rental in the midst of a year when they were up by like 15 games and, in the standings. Jeff Samarja and Jason Hamill that same year. They yeah, went I, I, Samarja was not a – He was a, I think he was a year and a half. I don't know if he was He was close. not a rental. Hamill was a rental. So, yeah, Samarja had a year and a half, but then they traded him after that season for Marcus Semien. Marcus, Marcus Semien. But the, the point being, so this is – I mean, the thing about the – for the A's – Whatever you want to say about how they built their teams, they've never gone full tank. You know, no. they, they like, I don't think they've had a top five pick since Barry Zito, which was right. like in 1999. Like, they've never gone full tank. They've always tried to kind of keep a team around the margins and then, like, when they see it, go for it. So, if not Bryce Harper, um, and I'll get back to him in a second, I could definitely see the A's making some sort of bold move because they actually have a bunch of guys who are going to be free agents. This, their payroll right now is like 70 million. 
a bunch of their really good players are going to be free agents this year. Jed Lowry, Jairus Familia, who they just traded for, Luke Roy, not that good, but going to be a free agent. Matt Joyce, all free agents. Um, so they only have $13.8 million in salary next year guaranteed already. So they have a ton of payroll flexibility. So while someone like Harper would be a big ad for them, would probably be like, you know, $8 million what's left of his salary for this year. Um, you can, they can handle it. Yeah. I, I have two competing thoughts here. One is that if the Nationals decide they're going to trade Harper, then there's no reason not to trade everybody else because they have a lot of free agents, right? Like Herrera is going to be a free agent. Murphy's going to be a free agent. Uh, Gio Gonzalez is going to yes. be a free agent. So you could argue that if the A's are actually going to go do this, well, they might as well get Gio Gonzalez as well and Kelvin Herrera. But no matter what happens with the A's, they are playing only for that second wild card. It's almost impossible to see them doing better than that. So is it worth it for going on the road into Yankee Stadium against Severino in that bullpen? I know like now is the time, but that's that's a lot to to do that. Just based on the way they've, they've operated, I just could see if the Nats were willing to do it, I could see the, the A's being the team that would be willing to take that chance. And one last thing I will say, this sort of like makes me think this pipe dream has a slight chance of being ha- happening is that the A's and Nats trade together all the time. Last year, it was Doolittle and Matson for Lazardo, Noisy, and Trine, as we, as we discussed. The year before that, they tra- uh, Mark Rishchevsky <laughs> for Max Schrock. <laughs> I chart as you. Yeah. year before that, Yunel Escobar for Tyler Clippard. Before that, they traded they, uh, the Corey Brown nothing. Jerry Blevins for Billy Burns. For Abad for John Wooten. Kurt Suzuki went from the Nationals to Derek, the A's. Derek Norris is in there. There was a three-way trade the first time when the when – the, we're, we're going back a second – when the A's in a three-way trade – Traded AJ Cole and Blank Trinan to the Nationals. Full circle. I forgot um, that's how that happened. They traded Kurt Suzuki to the Nationals. <laughs> <laughs> they traded uh, 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 they, when they got uh, AJ Cole and Tommy Malone from the Nationals the first time. The point is, this is like one of the most common trade partners in baseball. So <laughs> it's no Tampa Bay Seattle, but it'll do. <laughs> so when I think of like this as a pipe dream, uh, this one comes to mind. It would inject so much life into the playoffs. It would be the greatest thing. I would buy a Bryce Harper A's jersey the day it happened, just as a collector's item, knowing there would only be a three month rental. I, have, I just want to take a second and realize that it's uh, July 25th or whatever it is today. And we are seriously talking about the Oakland A's trading for Bryce Harper. And imagine if you knew that in January. <laughs> like, that's it's it's not going to happen. But it's, it's so okay. So well, if the, if the A's, I mean, I guess realistically, they probably should be trading. For, if they're trading for anything, it probably should be a starting pitcher. And yeah, and that's that's the thing is like a lot of these teams, like you know, the Yankees really need J Hap, whatever. But I think the A's actually could use just a league average guy like that. And it's, I'm actually in some ways I'm surprised they weren't in on Evaldi, or maybe they were in the the the, the Rays liked the. Uh, the Red Sox, Jalen Beeks, Jalen Beeks. They like that offer a little bit, a little bit better. But you know, other starters out there. That I guess Hap is the big name. Tyson Ross. They've had Tyson Ross before. They could maybe bring him back. Zach Wheeler. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out there and say that Zach Wheeler is the best starter available. And let me say available. I don't think Degrom's getting traded. I don't think Chris Archer's getting traded. Right. So it's really Hap or Wheeler or Ross. And that's it. Because I don't think I think Cole Hamels is going to stay. He's been so bad and he's expensive. I don't think anyone's going to trade. Kevin Gaussman? I don't know if he's available. I have no no read on what the Orioles are actually going to do. He's not a free agent. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought though that if they were if there was real interest in Wheeler, they would have tried to figure out a combo deal when they traded for Familia. Um, well, yeah, but you could have said the same thing for the Dodgers not getting Britain with Machado, right? Sometimes they do like these things separately. Um, that's true. Um, so so then uh, while we're talking about. Uh, 
Well, Zach Wheeler, this is a good uh, transition to talk about maybe some some trade deadline predictions. Yeah, I wrote about some predictions. Uh, I made 20 predictions, and my only guarantee was that only most of them would be wrong. I think last year I did this, and I actually got three right, which seems like a pretty decent uh, success rate. So far, I'm only wrong on one, uh, which is Evaldi, who I had said going to the Cubs. He went to the Red Sox. Um, there's obviously more than 20 guys who are going to get traded. This is not everybody, and there's going to be so many relievers traded, just as we've been talking about. There's no good starting pitchers. You need relievers in October. There's going to be a ton of relievers. But I did come up with a couple of guys that I thought were interesting, uh, just sort of guesses, right? And, you know, DeGrom's not going to go over it, but Wheeler to the Brewers makes a lot of sense to me, maybe with Estrubal Cabrera. Brewers' second baseman have been terrible. Uh, the Brewers, Jimmy Nelson, who knows? Brent Suter just got hurt. Uh, I think they need some help, and there's not really a, a high-end you know, ace out there. Zach Wheeler has actually been really good. 444 ERA doesn't really tell you that much, um, but if you look at his expected weighted on base, he's been about as good as Granky or Arrieta. Like, that's really good. For the last two months, it's basically been the best he's ever pitched in his career, and the Brewers did once trade for him before. Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> it fell through the infamous uh, Wilmer Flores crying on the field trade that got nixed uh, by uh, Carlos Gomez's medical, supposedly. I, I want to go to one that I think we disagree on. Okay? I think you think... Adam Jones is going to Cleveland. And I think that fit makes a lot of sense because we've talked about this a lot. Cleveland has one good outfielder in Michael Brantley. Uh, Adam Jones obviously is on Baltimore, who's going to trade everybody. So I certainly understand why that would be a fit. But I actually think that that's not going to happen because Adam Jones, first of all, hasn't been very good this year. Right? He can't can't play center field anymore. No one's going to let him play center. Uh, he's been a slightly below average hitter, 277, 303, 425. And he's got full no trade rights. He's got 10-5 rights. So he can control that. I also think that no one's going to come and give Baltimore all that much for him. So they might just prefer to have a guy that the fans know, keep like a, a franchise icon around, right? Yeah. I, if I'm Cleveland, I'd rather Andrew McCutcheon. I think he's a better player. Uh, he's already been traded, you know, from his franchise icon state. I know the Giants may or may not actually sell. I think they will, but you don't think they See, will. I don't think they will. I think the Giants, they're, you know, they're, they're 52 and 50. They're four games out of the second wild card spot. They have too much going for them. You know, they they have a fan base that expects a winner, that comes out for a winner. It's just... I mean, they're not going to trade Bumgarner or anything, but, you know, McCutcheon's a free agent. I think I think it could happen. Um, I, do, I, don't, I don't see it. I think Jones, to me, makes... I think Jones and the Indians feel like ones that just, you know, kind of just feels like destiny. I'm going to put Eduardo Escobar on the Diamondbacks. Sure, uh, why not? J- just so that our friend Mike Farian can hear that and wonder if that's actually a thing that could happen. Um, as I can hear his voice in my head, well, he's not a great defender. That's true. But they have Nick Ahmed, who's a very good defender. Uh, the, you know, Eduardo Escobar has the fifth most extra base hits in baseball, which is crazy to me. That's that's amazing. He, he could he can play a little bit of short and third. Jake Lamb can't hit lefties. Nick Ahmed can't really hit righties. You can figure out a job share. And I think Diamondbacks are still very much in the mix, and they could use a bat. I'm going to say Jose Pereira goes nowhere. He's not having a very good season. And now that Ian Desmond is shockingly hitting in Colorado, that Rockies don't even need a first baseman right yeah, now. Yeah, there's no reason at this point for the Rockies to make that through. crushing the ball. So uh, that's not going to that's not. Gonna and I think the White Sox sort of feel like they love Abreu. The fans love him. They're hoping to be an improved team next year with Abreu being part of that. It just doesn't seem like a. there's no compelling reason to trade him right now. JT Romito stays. I'm saying that the Marlins you know, don't make a trade before the end of the month. I think maybe you're the winner. No one's gonna. I don't think anyone's gonna go give up the the elite prospect they want. Right. I think if the Nats were a little closer, yes. they would do it. I think that would that match made a lot of sense, but I don't think it'll happen now. I still think the Nationals will get Wilson Ramos. Uh, it is a myth that you can't trade an injured player. Remember, Carl Crawford blew out his elbow and got traded. I think Rich Hill was on the DL when the Dodgers traded for him. You can do it. Um, Cole Hamels, I think, is gonna stay. Like I said, he's been 
really just very lousy this year. Uh, Matt Harvey is definitely going to get traded. I've really enjoyed the Cincinnati beat writers dealing with the fans who would think that Matt Harvey is going to stay. This is entirely the reason they got him is to trade him. And yes, he's been better than he was at the Mets. It hasn't been that good. You know, he, he could be a fit on the A's. He could be. A, I, I think he's going to be Seattle. That's where I think he's going to go. But yes, he could be a fit on these. They're going to be going for the same players. Yes, like, that's what's interesting. Yeah, They're fighting one another. It's, and like also like Harvey and Wheeler, uh, the former right. teammates, will be like uh, the sort of the uh, the guys that like teams will be vying for. I put uh, Tyson Ross on the A's. You know, I mean, but these guys are all interchangeable. There's not a ton of difference to me between Ross and Harvey. Like I guess I would take Hap a little bit above them, uh, and I think Chris Archer stays. That's that's kind of the uh, the end of my predictions here. Yeah, well, the, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we had uh, former Mets slash Braves exec Adam Fishron, and we talked about DeGrom destinations, and one team he mentioned was, he said, well, you know, if, if the Padres, he's like, one place that would be a fit is if the Padres want to try and, like, bump up their window, were his words. Um, that's a place, because they've, you know, they've got, like, you know, 10 of pipe, MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects. That could be a fit. And supposedly the Padres have been quote-unquote, kicking the tires on Chris Archer, uh, as well as Noah Syndergaard. I mean, the problem with Archer is he, he just hasn't been a dominant pitcher for a couple of years. Yeah. The peripherals have generally been still been good. Contract is still really good. Um, the contract is still team-friendly, so I could see a team wanting to take a chance. He's actually been a little bit outspoken about wanting to go to a, to a quote-unquote, uh, winner. And obviously, it's tough for, to be a winner in the AL East these days. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think sending him to San Diego right now is going to be that problem. No, but the, uh, the, the barrier to uh, playoff entry is a lot higher in the AL East than it is in other divisions. And one thing I want to note is I purposely did not talk about a ton of relievers just because there's so many relievers. Kirby Yates is going to go somewhere, and Blake Parker is going to go somewhere. It's just impossible to go through all of these guys. But one guy I did have on my list is Ryan Presley, who we've talked about before. Um, he's on the Twins. He has had a phenomenal season. He has the fourth hardest thrown slider. He's got elite fastball spin. He's got elite curveball spin. And I think there are a couple of analytically inclined teams who could very badly use him. Perfect fit for Houston, but I predict Ryan Presley to the Dodgers because the Dodgers have an incredibly anonymous bullpen right now. These are some real names in the Dodgers bullpen right now. Zach Roscup, Dylan Floro, Caleb Ferguson, JT Chagua. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are real names. And uh, Daniel Hudson is still there too. So they could certainly use an upgrade in front of Kenley Jansen. The one player who's not a rental who I'm fascinated by, and I think uh, as I see the Cardinals are losing again, uh, 7-3 in the eighth inning, uh, could become a factor is Jose Martinez. Uh, yeah, but where? This is my problem. Like, he's got to be in the AL, right? If you're going to trade for him, he's going to be in the American League. Well, it's basically because the, the Cardinals have essentially torpedoed his NL value by basically right. saying, we refuse to play him because right. he cannot play defense. It's, it's exactly right. So, you know, who needs – like, the, the Red Sox don't need a DH, obviously. Seattle's not going to need a DH. They've got Nelson Cruz. Uh, you know, is it is it worth Cleveland's effort? I don't know. Like, Oakland has Chris Davis. Uh, Houston? Maybe? I think Houston. I think Houston kind of makes sense. I mean, like don't Houston, get me wrong. I will, it would be the most Houston thing to do. I kind of love that idea. I mean, he's he's not that young, but he also has a lot of team control left. He's never going to be that expensive because he didn't, you know, break through until he was like 28. He can hit, and the Astros are the kind of team that would totally value him and under, see, see the value there. Um, I'm not against the idea. I just don't know that I actually see it happening. I also wonder if St. Louis and Houston will ever make a trade with each other ever again. Just based on their history. Well, I mean, I don't know. The, the guy's gone. He's in jail. I, <laughs> I guess mean, so. <laughs> um, the guy who hacked in, yeah. the, the Cardinals employee who hacked into the Astros, uh, Astros system. So at some point. Um, we agree that I love that the fit is perfect, right? Jose Martinez on Houston. I just don't know that I actually see it happening. Um, I guess the next time we have the show, it will be after the deadline. And we will see how many, if any, of these 
are correct. As one of our listeners, uh, Coach Maher, reminded me today, you and I both predicted that Zach Britton would be the first man off the board after our last show last week. Um, wasn't so, exactly going out in a limb. But we're, we're I guess we're, 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 well, no, after our last show, Familia has been tra- was traded first, wasn't he? Well, he's not a big enough name for that. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. This is what I get for listening to our fans. Uh, this is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Catch you next week.